Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, losing a child who dies by suicide is a devastating loss for any parent or loved one, but this kind of death carries the extra weight of stigma that we really need to alleviate if we're going to help our kids who rely on us for open and honest discussion. According to the Addiction Center in the United States, suicide is the deliberate ending of one's life and is considered to be one of the greatest health epidemics by many in the medical field which is strange since we don't talk about it nearly as much as we discuss other health epidemics, do we? According to recent news out of the United Nations, close to 800,000 people die by suicide every year, and for each death, there are more than 20 suicide attempts. Every year, suicide accounts for more deaths than war and homicide combined, and is the second leading cause of death among those aged 15 to 29 behind road injury. In the United States, suicide is the third leading cause of death for kids ages 10 to 14. More sobering statistics, more than 90% of people who fall victim to suicide suffer from depression, have a substance abuse disorder, or both. There is a vicious cycle of depression and wanting to numb the pain that can lead children and teens to drugs and to other risky behavior that can ironically increase the severity or duration of those depressive episodes and impact judgment, which can lead to suicide attempts. But also, it can cause the supports around that person, their family, their school, their friends, to crack a little, to crumble a little in an effort to help that person or to cope with the fallout from these behaviors. So what are we to do? For help and answers, we turn to Ann Moss Rogers. Ann Moss Rogers is an emotionally naked public storyteller, a brain tumor survivor, and author of the book, Diary of a Broken Mind. She's the owner of the popular Emotionally Naked blog and co-owned and later sold her digital marketing business to pursue suicide prevention after her son Charles died by suicide on June 5th, 2015. He suffered from depression and addiction. She has given a TED Talk, Can a Blog Save Lives?, and has been interviewed by the New York Times. She has also spoken at the National Institute for Mental Health. Anne is a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill and lives in Richmond, Virginia with her husband. Her surviving son, Richard, works in LA as a filmmaker. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Anne Moss Rogers, welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you, Dr. Robbins, for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. And before we launch into the topic, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so passionate and on purpose with regard to discussing substance abuse, mental illness, and suicide on a global scale? Well, um, because when my son was alive, that was before he died by suicide, 
I would talk about it with my friends and they would cut me off mm. and they would ask me questions about my older son. Mm. And I'm like, why can't I talk about this subject? And it became clear that they didn't want to talk about it. Mm. And because nobody talked about suicide or even ever gave me any warning signs, and I'm talking about like the mental health specialists I saw, I didn't know those signs. Mm -hmm. And my son displayed classic signs of suicidal ideation or thinking of suicide. And I didn't pick up on them because... Nobody was talking about them. I was not educated. Mm, mm. So let's start talking about some of those warning signs that might help somebody listening in tune in and see what's going on in, uh, with his or her own child. I mean, in retrospect, you have great insight, like you were saying. You have got great insight on, on red flags and signs that your child needed help. And you often did get him help. I mean, let's not, you know, gloss over that. You did get him help, even though it meant spending thousands of dollars you didn't really have to pay for special schools and recovery centers. There were also times when you didn't realize it was as bad as it was and came to realize after Charles died by suicide how much he was suffering and just as you were saying, all the signs that now you were looking back, you go, there they were. So with your insight, if a child isn't asking for help, so it's like, hey, mom, dad, I, I am thinking about suicide, how might we know that we need to do something? Well, I will say that my son talked about death a lot mm -hmm. throughout his life. He was always curious about people who had died young. You know, he talked about Michael... Jackson, Amy Winehouse, um, people who died from overdose or suicide, hmm. and other people who just died young. And I remember him saying in the car one day, you know, I probably am not going to have children, and I'm probably going to die young. Hmm. And I remember not really knowing how to respond to that. So I kind of froze when what I should have done was say, son, why don't you tell me more about what you're saying? Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And just maybe let him talk. But I was so frozen, I guess, in fear that I didn't think to do that. Mm -hmm. He posted things on social media um, of his intention and they weren't I'm going to suicide today they weren't mm. that obvious but if I died no one would notice for 30 days mm. that one in particular really haunts me because I didn't see it until maybe hours before his suicide and I remember thinking that because of his drug addiction, that meant he had hit rock bottom and he was going to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And we all buy into that rock bottom myth. And my son's rock bottom was suicide. So they will post things on social media or send you texts that make you kind of scratch your head mm -hmm. and go, what's this all about? And I would encourage parents just to say, Tell me more, hmm. you know, mm -hmm. right. why are you asking this? Right, right, right. Because those warning signs, you know, in retrospect, they become very clear. But while you're in it, sometimes 
you just like the friends you just mentioned, you kind of just clam up or you freeze and you want to change the subject or do something else and not really explore that because perhaps you don't even want to hear what they have to say because it's scary. But you also talk about signs of what's to come in your book and the kind of child Charles was growing up. I mean, he was enormously popular. He sort of seemed like the Pied Piper. Um, he, you, you discuss how Charles had a, a broken reward system that made him a seeker of fun, constant input, lover of snack foods, the kid who kept his friends up all night on sleepovers. So can you tell us a little more about this insight and how you see his wiring of being a, a thrill seeker, a child who was often sick, you mentioned, a child who didn't live up to his potential in school or was told so, um, as playing a role in his drug abuse and how he lived his life and what can be done differently for children like Charles in the future to help things go in a different direction. Um, I did notice he could never get filled up or satiated by a fun event. And the <clears throat> story I usually tell is that we went to King's Dominion one day and that's the theme park and that child motored through that theme park like nobody's business mm. dragged his little friend along with him and then once we got home he kept you know bugging me to do something else and he wanted to go to another theme park that was an hour away and it was like five o'clock and <laughs> a hot day and then he wanted somebody to come over and then somebody to spend the night. And he just kept at it. Mm -hmm. And I remember particularly then being very concerned that he wasn't getting filled up. And that is what I had seen about the broken reward system. And quite frankly, I don't have specific answers to what to do mm -hmm. with a child like that other mm -hmm. than you know, maybe look for other signs that, you know, the impulsivity mm -hmm. or um, other traits that might alarm you because I think it's a group of things as a whole. Right. Because I've had a lot of people say, oh, I have a child addicted to sugar. But that alone, I don't think points to any kind of... Mm -hmm issue in and of itself because we have a lot of Americans addicted to sugar. Sure. sure. However, it was that combination with, you know, I, I want to just keep eating sugar all the time, you know, despite the fact that, you know, he was having root canals at 12 years oh, old. Oh, wow. That's just not normal. Mm -hmm. And we didn't buy any of this stuff. I'm like, where's he getting it all mm -hmm. from? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a lot of personality that you'll notice. And my son suffered from depression, and that's what surprised me, yeah. is this happy, fun, popular kid was actually depressed. I think we hear that a lot, don't you? I mean, I feel like yes. that statement is said a lot. Yeah, It is. and But... Children don't know how, you know, he wasn't going to come up to me and say, I suffer from depression when he was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. He didn't even know what it was. Mm -hmm. And in some children, they express it as anger. So you have a child that acts out a lot and is actually mean and bullying other kids. That can be a sign of depression, although it wasn't for my son. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you say that, that sometimes these behaviors, we wind up going ahead and trying to treat the behaviors, right? We're like consequencing but, our children and saying and, and having discussions about not treating people that way when there's an underlying issue there, such as what you point out, like depression or anxiety or self-esteem issues or whatever it might be. Um, and we, we did talk a bit about that with a woman named Mona Delahook, who's amazing, who talks about what's underneath the behaviors you know what your the behaviors are just you know the the thing that you see but there's something underneath there that's going on and we have to dig why is he acting this way what's really going on and digging in could help to um highlight a problem and then hopefully help you get the help you need in order to solve that issue Exactly. The behavior just highlights something else is going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love the line in your book, and I put it in my um, Instagram stories, that you say, before the conversation on suicide becomes mainstream, it will be uncomfortable. For me, that is just, it, it is so important because all of these tough conversations that we have, whether it's about suicide or it's about sex or porn or any number of really tough conversations we have, we've got to get uncomfortable. Clearly, we need to talk about suicide. We need to talk about substance abuse and mental illness and some of these factors that can make someone more at risk for dying by suicide. And as you talk about in your book, when we don't talk about it, that's really when we get into trouble. Um, We can create stigma. It makes it a taboo subject that makes it difficult to broach with our children, but it also makes it a difficult conversation for our children to broach with us. I mean, I think that's really important. So how do we start this conversation about these difficult topics of mental illness or substance abuse or suicide with our children so that they understand, but also know that you're open to having these difficult conversations in the future? Well, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you can tell a child, I heard this podcast today, and they were talking about youth suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, have any of your friends at school, is this something that they discuss? Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought any of your friends were at risk? Mm -hmm. But also to express your own emotions as it relates to that maybe you lost a loved one a relative or friend to suicide and you you know it reminded me of this time when and you tell them and you share that story so that you're not asking them to share something before you do Mm. Mm. that 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 gives them enough time to kind of marinate the thought and to maybe make a comment because it is an uncomfortable topic and they're most likely going to kind of freeze as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can't talk about this, but as you talk about it and they see you role modeling that behavior. And I mean, you can say I've always been uncomfortable with this Mm -hmm. topic, but I recognize that talking about it is actually very important and I haven't done that with you. I mean, I think if we're just really very honest with our children, and it does depend on the age. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm really talking about maybe 12 and over. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and the discussion might be very different for under you know under the age of 12 mm-hmm. but we need to make that connection because I've talked to a lot of parents and they'll say well ask them about it and when you kind of come out of the blue and you just ask them about it they're gonna react how would you react you would mm-hmm. hesitate right They'd be like, where's this coming from? And be a little suspicious and also a little dumbfounded. Exactly. All of the above. And that show 13 Reasons Why, that Mm -hmm. that first season dealt a lot with suicide. And I wouldn't let your children watch that alone. Mm -hmm. Right. And all you have to do is say, I've been wanting to watch that too. Can we watch it together? Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's a really good opportunity to bring up the subject. And they have removed the graphic suicide scene from that first season. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thankfully. Thankfully, but yeah. The problem, I think, with watching series like that comes with they're in isolation and they binge watch it and they already have some risk factors. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right, and they feel like somebody understands them, and yet it's somebody on the on the screen rather than somebody in real life who they can turn to and say, I'm having this problem. And when you're sitting with them and watching the same thing, you can talk to them about the same things that they're, they're seeing on that screen and say, you know, have you, have you ever had these thoughts before? Have your, have your friends ever spoken to you about some of these issues and open up the conversation using the TV uh, show as a springboard for discussion rather than it just coming out of the blue. Right. And, you know, you can reference something you saw but definitely having something you reference or why you brought it up, mm-hmm. you know, and being honest with that admission that, that it scares you, that you using I feel words mm-hmm. and not being at all accusatory in any way, because most likely they are concerned about a friend. And that's typically when I speak to students or college high school or college students, the first question they always ask is, they are concerned about a friend. What do I do about this friend who's cutting? What do I do about this friend who is talking the way you have described? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they, they are not all that brave about asking questions in front of people, but when they are brave enough, it is usually always concern about a brother, a sister, or a friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So f- in that vein, if somebody does ask that question, what is your response? Really, I want them to listen with empathy first. Mm-hmm. And I actually teach uh, a suicide prevention training called Safe Talk. And at the end, I let everybody know that even if they do the steps poorly, if they make that connection and they are truly listening to this person and being empathetic and not trying to fix it or say things like, you have so much to live for, but active listening, tell me more. Well, do you have a plan? Um, 
if you follow that kind of questioning, then the person says, okay, you know, you're really connected, you're really listening. That alone can actually prevent a suicide, but we want people to take that next step. And we don't, you know, the kids are afraid of telling things in confidence to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But this is that exception. And what we want is that child to say, you know, we really need to tell a trusted adult. And I would love to do that together with you. Mm. Can we tell your parent? Can we tell your father? Can we tell a teacher, a coach, somebody that they trust? A school counselor is probably one of the best choices if the school has one. Mm -hmm. But we want to get that child connected with a trusted adult. Mm. That's the ultimate goal. And they really resist that that part of it. But what we what we want first and foremost is for them to connect and listen because all of this is the result of a connection problem. Yes. Is that when as a community we're not as connected as we once were. I'd agree and, with that, right? Because of social media, we've it almost looks like we're very connected, but we're not outside connecting with our neighbors as much. We're running around overscheduled and often don't get to stop and talk and meet up as we used to do. And I know I you I think I think I read that um, I think I read in your book that it was like almost like your child wished he had. Yes, it was in your book. Almost like he wished he had your life growing up when you were little and, you know, everybody was outside. I totally agreed with that because mm -hmm. I loved how I grew up, you know, just with all the neighbors outside and playing um, out in the street and riding bikes and doing all those things because there was no other option where uh, now it feels like everybody is, you know, running off to soccer and baseball and gymnastics um, or inside on video games or whatever it is. So it, it's true. People aren't as connected. So that connection is so important to open the door to conversation, but also to feel that somebody cares and sees you and notices you and you feel valued. Exactly. I mean, he just I can't say that my son embraced the video game revolution. Mm -hmm. Because those screens seduced everybody to staying inside. Right. You couldn't get people outside. Yes. And it, it crushed him. Yes. Right. Exactly. As he was like knocking on doors and people didn't want to come out to play. It's that is really interesting. I, I would love to shift this for a moment from because I thought that was a really important uh, piece that you're saying about what to do. Uh, and what to tell a teen to do in that circumstance if they have a friend or a brother or a sister who's talking like this. How about if someone in the family or friend at school actually died by suicide and you have your child sitting in front of you, what would you say you should talk about at that point? What exactly would you say? What points uh, in the conversation do you want to make um, in order to, you know, make sure the conversation is open, you're not brushing anything under the rug, um, questions could be asked. 
And hopefully you're not waiting for somebody else to have the conversation with your child or for it to just sort of pass your child by so that you don't have to have that conversation. So so what do you say if you actually found out that it, it happened to somebody that your child knows or maybe not even well, but somebody that maybe he would hear about or she would hear about? I think we start by expressing our own fear of suicide and grief. Mm -hmm. And to not perpetuate any kind of um, myths about suicide, like it was selfish or we, we want to stay away from that. We want to acknowledge that this was a person who was hurting and had clearly some factors that made them feel so bad that they wanted to end their life. Mm -hmm. And I think you start from, I can't imagine what this parent is going through. I, I can't imagine losing you mm -hmm. and I can't help but feel fearful and sad and ask if they knew the child well mm -hmm. and if they knew any stories about that child. Because what you want is you want to get that child talking about the person. Mm you know, what they've heard they were like in terms of were they in the band, you know, what instrument did they play, more about their personalities so that it starts that conversation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then you can be curious, but also when they start talking to really listen to them, and not try to fix anything, but to truly listen. Mm -hmm. right. And I always say, listen more, lecture less. Mm -hmm. And we really, to make a true connection. And, you know, I remember, and this is a little bit off the question, but it, it, it'll give you an idea. I remember a parent bringing her teenage child to a presentation I did at the YMCA. And when she left the YMCA, she emailed me later and she said, at first I was real angry with you. And in my mind, I'm creating this mad email to you <laughs> because I brought my child and you told me this story about your son and I was concerned it would trigger thoughts of suicide in my own child mm -hmm. because she held the belief everybody else does mm -hmm. that talking about suicide gives them the idea. Mm -hmm. So she gets in the car, son's already in the car and he says, mom, there's something I need to tell you. I have been planning to end my life mm. and I have found uh, and I do have in my possession, I have a gun. And so when she reached out to me, she said, I'm not angry. I'm grateful because my son is alive today because I dragged him to this thing at the YMCA. And then I was mad at you mm -hmm. <laughs> for telling the story that triggered him to tell me. Mm -hmm. So those conversations that we think might trigger them into thinking about it, if, the, if we leave it in their heads and we don't ask the questions, they fill in the blanks with much scarier mm -hmm. and unknown scenarios. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we drag it out and we put it under the spotlight, things that felt insurmountable 
feel more manageable. Mm -hmm. It's a really beautiful way of putting it and and really important for people to hear uh, that we do need to have these conversations and we do need to uh, keep that door open so that our kids can again broach the subject with us that they may be keeping under wraps because we haven't broached the subject with them. So it is really important to keep that, that line of communication open. I know a really lasting mark that you discuss in your book, aside from the finality of, of the death of your son by suicide, is how it made you reflect on your parenting, your reactions, your responses. It would be very easy to blame yourself and comb through every communication you had with your son for miscues and things you wish you said or did differently. And you say, the truth is, Charles was not a trophy that could be polished and put into a glass case to demonstrate superior parenting skills. My grief was about learning to live without the child I still loved and accepting that parenting is not about perfection, but recognizing what I did right. And I think this is a really important message that parents need to hear about really any difficult topic. We can't live our child's life for them. We aren't all-knowing. We do make a lot of mistakes, and we do a lot of things right. So to the parents who are listening in on this podcast today, uh, who might be in a similar space as as you have been along your journey, whether it's they have a child who's, who's coping with substance abuse or has been suicidal or may have died by suicide, what is your advice to them today? I think that the one thing I wish I had told my son is, and this was once he was addicted to heroin in addition, as much as I want you to get well, I love you even if you don't. Mm. Our children need to know that we have that unconditional love for them no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, that even though you're not going to hand over money or that you may have boundaries, your love is always there. And I regret that in that two weeks that I didn't really know where my son was after he walked out of detox, and this is before suicide, that I didn't call him more to say, I love you. And, and, as much as I want you to get well, I love you even if you don't. Mm-hmm. They, that is the number one thing that, that is, has people dying in this opiate epidemic is that they feel ugly and dirty. And I mean, just the word heroin addict is just dripping with shame mm-hmm. and ugliness. And we're labeling people instead of a disease. My son was not his disease. The person was still in there somewhere. And it wasn't until after he died that I saw in his music that that person was there more often than I thought. And I just regret that I froze at times when I should have gone into action. But I didn't know what that action was until three years later. So you got to step back and you've got to get a support system. I had been going to a support group for four years. And during that time, I did not attend as often. And why did I abandon the one thing that was working for me at a time when I needed it the most? Mm -hmm. 
And I can't really answer that other than I had my house on the market for sale and that was taking up a lot of time. But I should have made time for that self-care piece mm -hmm. so that I could get the support that I needed. Mm -hmm. And because you need that, because there are times where you've got to take a break from all of this and rejuvenate to come back and fight another day. And it just takes constant advocacy for a child with any kind of differences. And we, we desperately need those support systems and that connection. And again, we go back to parents need that connection too. We're not mm -hmm. meant to do all this in isolation. And it's ridiculous to think you can or should. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, at this point, we now have the ability to connect with people from all over, and you've done such a beautiful job with that, that we don't need to rely on just the people who are right in front of us who might be sitting at our table and saying, I don't want to talk about that and let me change the subject. We now have people who are dealing with the, the same situations or ones that are at least similar, uh, some people who are ahead and have uh, already coped with a lot of issues related to suicide or to substance abuse. You get to hear about people who have grieved and are able to move forward in positive directions like you have. Um, and you're able to hear about people who are, are struggling just as you are. And that connection and that camaraderie make it so you don't feel so alone and that you feel understood and seen and heard. It's really very similar to what the kids need in that, yeah. in that regard, isn't it? So both the child who is suffering as well as the parents and the loved ones, the siblings who are suffering all need that type of support, getting this message out into the open and talking about things that are uncomfortable so that everybody can feel less alone. At the support group was the single most important thing I ever did for myself. Mm -hmm. And just recently I did, I went to NAMI family to family. Now this is for people with a child actively, you know, uh, diagnosed with a mental illness. And I obviously don't have a child that is alive that struggles with this anymore. But I do have a niece that does, and I recommend this class all the time, and I thought, I need to go take it. Mm. In that class was a gentleman a little bit older than me, and he was from the punitive parenting mm. kind of, you know, he's a working class guy, but he came to that class all 12 weeks because he, he saw that what he was doing was not effective for his, his daughter. Mm. And just by telling his daughter that he was going to this class started to mend their relationship because she was like, wow, I'm important enough mm -hmm. that you have gone and decided that you need to do something differently because you recognized it wasn't rewarding for our relationship. Mm -hmm. 
So that move alone, and he goes, I'll admit, I thought I was coming to a class where everybody's going to hold hands and sing <laughs> kumbaya. <laughs> not exactly what he saw, I guess. It's not. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the men who attended all expressed that that same specific, you know, I thought we were coming to this kumbaya holding hands mm -hmm. thing. And they all said it has completely changed the way I think about communicating with my loved one. Mm -hmm. mm. And yeah. at listening more, not passing judgment, but letting the other person know that they were heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A very important message for any child, and especially one that's coping with so much strife. If you could finish the sentence, the one thing I really want people to know about suicide in teens is? They want to tell. Mm. They, they want to tell. They reach out to me online all the time. They, were, they are dying to tell somebody. And we just need to give them the environment where it's okay to do so. And as parents, we can't say, just go pray on it, or you're just trying to get attention. But we need to say, we need to sit down and say, tell me more. Mm -hmm. mm. Give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after this podcast today? To listen for those signs and reach out and take that time to connect with another human being. I'm all about creating that culture connection to prevent suicide, to help people through grief. But that's, that's what we as human beings are about. And I remember a story with Charles where a young lady told me she was suffering from depression and she was standing in the hallway with a bunch of friends. She looks up and she sees Charles staring straight at her and she said, Ms. Rogers, I knew Charles because everybody did, but I, we'd never been introduced and there he was staring at me. And she said, next thing I know, he is standing a foot in front of me and he breaks out into a rap song. Now she's surrounded by all her friends <laughs> and they are just like totally shocked. And then she says she dies laughing at the end of it and all her friends dead. He bends down, he hugs her and he says, uh, pretty girls shouldn't look so sad. And he makes his way down the hall. And she said, of all the things anyone has ever done for me, I will never forget that. Mm -hmm. And I think as funny and as talented as Charles was, his greatest gift was letting other people know they matter. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful and a wonderful legacy. I love that you are telling stories about Charles that highlight his gifts. And I really did get that from reading the book and his lyrics that you included in the book, that he was somebody who really wanted other people to be happy, and that he wanted them to know that he loved them. Um, so I, I think that's a beautiful legacy. And it's important to keep these things in mind because it's very easy for people to get overshadowed by the end of their life when there's so much to tell within their entire life that is just as much part of that person and their journey than the end. Isn't that right? Yes, exactly. Um, 
I feel like there's more to Charles than what he suffered with, yes. although he's kind of become this poster child <laughs> for suicide and addiction. When I tell the story, people want to know more about him. They mm -hmm. want to go see his videos. Mm -hmm. You know, we were a normal family. We did normal family things. And I never, ever, ever thought this could happen to us because we loved our children. We baked cakes together. We went to theme parks. And it was, it was just a real wake-up call and a total shock. And it brought me around to really this, this could happen to anyone. Right, right. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and all the great work you're doing in this area? Well, I have a blog called Emotionally Naked, and I have some resource pages um, that are very specific to uh, suicide, mental illness, and addiction. And then there's a book that I have also linked to called um, Speaking to Children About Suicide. Mm -hmm. And it's actually after the suicide of a loved one or a relative. And I also share um, a free ebook download um, that gives parents just nine tips for building resilience in your child. And it's, it just gives you some kind of conversation starters and ways to ask questions so that they'll talk more mm -hmm. and you can listen more because we tend to ask questions where they get a yes or no mm -hmm. or no answer. And this is a way to kind of build that connection with a preteen or teenager and be able to actually, you can start this with younger kids. I, I would advise that, but you can start it you can really start it at any age. I started doing it when my oldest was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you it, it made a difference. And it's just parenting styles that I've grabbed from, you know, psychologists and kind of put together in one, mm -hmm. I think it's a 50 page, it's not a very long mm -hmm. ebook, but mm -hmm. it's an easy digestible quick read. Okay, we will have a link to all of those things on the show notes. And I want to thank you so much, Anne, for your insight and your tips and your stories, everything that you've brought today to help us understand more about your work and about Charles and about suicide so that we can have this very important discussion or series of discussions with our children over time. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me and for tackling such a difficult topic. I appreciate it, Dr. Silverman. Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss some. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And of course, I'll be going back and forth with Anne. I'll be creating some memes with some of the great things that she said today so that we can share it and talk more about 
substance abuse and depression and suicide um, so that we can open up some of these discussions with those who we really care about the most. And if you love this podcast, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn more about all the things that Anne was talking about today and use them in their own homes with their own loved ones. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget, there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. So if you have had these conversations with your child, but you didn't say all the things you wanted to say, you can say them now. If you haven't had these conversations with your children and you know that you need to, you can have them now. Perhaps you clammed up when your child said something to you and you can have the conversation now. I see you, I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.